Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, if you're new to Cornerstone, it's good to, to have you with us this morning. My name is Christian. I'm one of the elders and pastors here. I get the opportunity to open up God's word with you this morning, continue our series through the book of First Peter. So if you have a Bible or phone or some other device that has a Bible on it, we'll go ahead and open it up to First Peter. We're partway through chapter two. And as you find your place, let me just take a couple seconds just to remind you of the ground we covered last week. We're right at this moment in the book of 1 Peter where, where Peter's transitioning. His purpose as he's writing this letter to a group of people whose lives have been turned upside down and are disoriented is to reorient them in regard to who they are in relationship to God, who they are in relationship to each other, and then who they are in their relationship with the world around them. We've seen already in chapters one and two how Peter tells us we've been born again into God's family. He is our father. Who are we in relation to God? We are his children. And what does that mean for our relationships with each other? We are brothers and sisters in God's family. We represent him. We take on his character and our actions. The high point of 1 Peter happens in chapter 2, verse 9, where Peter takes these glorious identities that God gave to Israel back in Exodus 19 and applies it to us who follow Jesus. We are God's royal priests, his holy nation, a people belonging to him because our calling is to proclaim his excellencies, his greatness in this world because he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's what Jesus said back in Matthew 5. We are the light of the world meant to be amongst the darkness in the same way to call people to God's light. And then we saw in verses 11 and 12, I want to put this up there. I forgot to grab the clicker, guys. I apologize. So maybe someone back there can help me follow along. Go back one, please. In verses 11 and 12, Peter says, if that's who you are in relationship with the world... Here, or in relation to God and each other, here's who you are in relationship to the world. You are sojourners. We are exiles. We interact with this world as respectful guests. He reminds us the main battle that we fight is not us against the world, but against the desires of our flesh. Our main objective as we interact with the world is honorable conduct, to act honorably, to speak with honor of others even those who are in positions of authority over us. Thank you, Cole. If you don't know Cole Sankey, he's awesome. Everybody say hi to Cole. Thank you. Peter says, if we do that, though, if we, if we calibrate our lives to recognize the main battle is against the desires of our flesh and our posture toward the world is honorable conduct, we saw last week, we should expect to be misunderstood. We should expect that our efforts to act honorably toward those around us will be misconstrued often, seen as evil, and will result in us being ridiculed, maligned, even mistreated, or worse. And yet he says God will one day vindicate us. On the day of visitation when Jesus returns, it will be shown what we were really doing, that we were not fools to follow this Jesus. That's the ground we covered last week. What I want you to see this morning, the main point as we continue through Peter's letter is this. To live this kind of lifestyle, we do not need perfect circumstances. We do not need perfect circumstances to fulfill our calling to make God known. Because, as we'll see, in Christ, our circumstances do not define us anymore. 
Our identity in Christ is what defined us. Our calling to make his goodness known, to follow his example, that's what defines us. And Peter makes this audacious claim that we can live out that calling in any circumstance we might find ourselves, even, even in the midst of injustice, mistreatment, suffering. I've used this illustration before, but understand this, those of you who are followers of Jesus, you are not some wilting African violent that needs exactly the right environment to live. We are these pesky dandelions. We don't need perfect environments. Sometimes we grow best in the crack in the sidewalk where nothing else can grow to show that this power, this grace is not from us but from our Father in heaven. This is where Peter's gonna take us. Whatever circumstance you might find yourself in, we are free to serve God, provided that we understand what true freedom is all about. Check this out, verse 16 of 1 Peter 2. Peter says, live as people who are free. He acknowledges, acknowledges that in Christ we are free. But he says, don't use that freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as servants of God. Peter affirms the idea that we see throughout Scripture that according to the Bible, we have to get this straight, guys, especially as Americans, we love our freedom. But understand this, freedom as the Bible defines it is not the freedom to do what you want, but the freedom to do what is right. Paul makes this clear in Romans chapter six when he says that Christ died for us and rose again so that to free us from slavery to sin so that we might be slaves, he says, to righteousness. He writes similarly in Galatians five. He says, you've been called to freedom, brothers, but not to use that freedom as an opportunity for your fleshly desires, but through love to serve one another. This idea is seen most powerfully in the book of Exodus, in this story of God rescuing the people of Israel from being slaves to Pharaoh. In Exodus 8, verse 1, Moses comes to Pharaoh when he says, Thus says the Lord, let my people go so that they may serve me. True freedom, as the Bible defines it, is not being your own ruler, but submitting to the right ruler finding life under the right king. And when you come under God's rule through faith in Jesus, no matter what circumstances you may find yourself in, no matter how in unjust, how unfair, or even just unappreciated or unnoticed it may be, you are still free to live out your identity as a servant of God. Do you believe this? to illustrate his point of what it means to live as servants of God, and even to demonstrate his point that we can live as servants of God, make Jesus known in any circumstance, Peter turns his attention to those that he's writing to who already occupied the lowest position in Roman society, to those whose very life circumstance was by definition unjust. He writes to Christians who are slaves. 
Look at verse 18. Servants, that's a, that's a software. The word means household slave. Household slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect. Continuing the same idea we saw last week of submitting to human authorities in and honoring them. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentile, gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, living in that fear of God that we talked about in chapter one, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is heavy. Todd wasn't kidding when he said he'd go on vacation and leave the tough passages for me. <laughs> this is a heavy passage in part because what Peter is saying is a hard truth. And I would also say part of what makes it hard for us is that there's a lot of historical distance separating us from Peter. So let me just clarify a few things, some questions that were on my mind as I studied this passage and maybe on yours. First, Peter is not condoning slavery. He is not endorsing it as right. He is acknowledging what was a widespread reality in the world of his day. Historians estimate that at this point, as much as 25% of the entire population of the entire Roman Empire were slaves. One out of every four people, perhaps one out of every four people in the churches that Peter is writing to. Second, there are some significant distinctions between the way the Romans practiced slavery and perhaps the slavery that we may be a little bit more familiar with in the history of this country or other Western countries. The first thing is, is that Roman slavery wasn't as racially oriented unlike the, the, what predominantly enslavement of African people in our history, Roman slaves came from all races. And again, unlike slavery was practiced in this country, Roman slaves had much more access to education. It was not uncommon for Roman slaves to be better educated than their masters based upon the work they did. There was also more opportunity and sometimes even the social expectation that masters would set their slaves free, would manumit them after a certain amount of time. But let me make this absolutely clear. Roman slavery, like all slavery, including the more covert forms of slavery that we see around the world today, is wrong, is unjust. Humans created in God's image, treating other humans created in God's image as property, as beasts of burden, is wrong. And yet, Peter's point, as jarring as it is to our sensibilities, is that if you are a believer and you find yourself in such a situation, you can still conduct yourself honorably and thereby put Jesus on display. He goes even further. Not only can you put Jesus on display, but he says this, if a Christian slave suffers unjustly for doing good, Peter says that this is a gracious thing. Literally in the Greek, it says, this is grace. 
When you suffer unjustly for doing good, this is grace with God. What does that mean? On the one hand, I think it absolutely means that in the midst of suffering unjustly for doing good in the name of Jesus, God's grace meets us there that we might endure, that we might stand up under it. But even more than that, it seems that Peter's point is that not only does God's grace help you to endure, but in those situations, you become a conduit, a channel of God's grace to others, that God's grace extends to others through your example of unjust suffering. How can Peter say that? And how is that good news? I would say that the reason Peter can say that, the reason why it's good news, is because this is exactly how God's grace has come to us. God's grace was extended to you and I through the unjust suffering and death of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly where Peter goes next. Look at verse 21. For to this you have been called, the willingness to suffer unjustly for doing good. You have been called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you, we were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Those last couple of verses may sound familiar to you. Peter is quoting from Isaiah 53, that famous song of the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. This one who surely bore our sorrows and our griefs, who was crushed for our iniquities, who was the chastisement that was put on him, brings us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. Did you know this? Peter is the only New Testament author to directly connect Jesus with that song in Isaiah 53. And he does it right here in chapter 2 in the context of talking to Christian slaves. Peter says that Jesus is the suffering servant. He identifies with those who are, have suffered as slaves because he suffered injustice like a slave. Even though there was no deceit, he was sinless. He died by crucifixion, a purposefully shameful mode of execution that was reserved for rebellious slaves and enemies of the empire. That's how our king was killed. And then three days later, he rose again and now Jesus occupies the highest position in the universe 
As Todd said, he is at the right hand of God and he is king of kings and Lord of lords. So understand this. If you are in Christ, even if you have no power or influence or status in this world, even if you are a victim of injustice, Jesus is not ashamed to be identified with you. He walked the path of unjust suffering before you and for you. And he says, you can follow in my footsteps. He set the example for us to follow. Look again back at, verse, at the earlier verse. Actually, I meant to go backward. That word example there that I put in bold that Jesus left us an, an example so that we should follow in his steps. That word example there is used elsewhere to describe the way that little children would have the Greek alphabet like written out for them and then they would trace over the letters over and over and over again to learn how to write their letters. The idea is we do not know how to follow Jesus' example in this way. So what do we do? We look at the example that he set and we trace our lives over it again and again and again until we begin to take on the pattern of Jesus' life. That's the idea that Peter has here. Not that we roll out of bed learning how to do this, but we learn to write our ABCs by tracing our lives according to the example of Jesus. Look at how Jesus responded to injustice. Look at verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He didn't retaliate. He instead entrusted himself ultimately to the judgment of God. Again, why is this idea of non-retaliation when you're suffering unjustly, why is this good news? Look at the next verse, verse 24. Look what Jesus accomplished by enduring such unjust suffering. He carried our sin. He was crushed for our iniquities that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We are healed by his wounds. We had gone astray, but Jesus has brought us back to him. He's gathered us as his sheep, and now he says to us as our shepherd, follow the example I've set for you. Again, not that when we suffer unjustly, we bear the sins of others. Only Jesus' death can serve as that substitution for us. But when God's people commit themselves to do good, to act honorably, even when we suffer for it, we show that we truly are walking as Jesus walked following in his footsteps, tracing our lives according to the pattern he has set. This, Peter says, is grace with God. Okay, for a moment, let's just pause. Retrace the argument we've looked at, but let's look at it backward. Again, we see here, Jesus is the suffering servant. He suffered unjustly, yet he accomplished our salvation by doing that. And so Peter looks to those who are suffering unjustly as slaves, and he says, you're following in Jesus' footsteps. You're not on the wrong track. You're experiencing God's grace. You're displaying it to others by responding like Jesus in the midst of your suffering. And then remember what he said in verse 16. All of us 
are to live as servants of God. He really, he takes the social structure of Roman society and he flips it on its head. He draws the clearest, boldest connection between Jesus and those in the lowest position as slaves. And then he says to all believers, follow that example. He calls us all to assume that same posture. Check it out. He's going to keep hitting this drum throughout the rest of the letter. Check it out. Later on, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you, just so you know, this isn't just something for slaves to do, but for all believers to do, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Why? That's the example that Jesus has set for us. He brought us blessing through his suffering. So instead of reviling, commit yourself to even bless those who are mistreating you. Later on, verse 17 of chapter 3. Peter says, it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Why is that better? Because Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. We're tracing the pattern of Jesus' life. Chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Follow his example. 4.12, don't be surprised when you suffer for doing good, right? Something strange isn't happening to you. You are following in the pattern of Jesus. Rejoice, because insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, you may also rejoice when his glory is revealed. Why is this good news? Because the path that Jesus carved for us doesn't end in suffering. It doesn't end in ridicule. It doesn't end in exile. It ends in glory forevermore. It's worth it to follow this path. And so he concludes in chapter four, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Why? Because this is the example Jesus has set for us. He said that the gate is, is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. But make, make no mistake, it leads to life. We're going to look at some of these passages I just rifled through in a little bit more detail next week. But I wanted to show them to you now so you get the point that Peter's hitting over and over again. Listen carefully. To follow in the footsteps of Jesus is to function in a decidedly different way than the world around us. When we try to co-opt Jesus and his gospel as tools to gain power and influence in this world, we fundamentally misunderstand what the gospel is all about. But if instead we treat this like children learning to write our letters, to trace our lives according to the pattern of Jesus' sacrificial service, we will commit ourselves in this world to serving rather than being served. We will commit ourselves to refuse to stoop to the level of name-calling and slandering and disrespecting others even when they do so to us. We will speak truth. We will absolutely speak truth to power, but listen to me, we will do much more than speak truth. 
we will put that truth into practice through our lives, through acts of sacrificial service for those around us, acts of mercy and grace and radical hospitality to those that makes no sense in the world's eyes for us to care about. And this will actually give us a platform to speak the truth that we put into practice through our lives. In short, we will live as servants of God following the servant Jesus and putting his sacrificial love on display to those around us even in the midst of an evil and unjust world. We will live as light in the midst of darkness and therefore demonstrate God's called us out of that and he can call you out of that too. Everything that Peter is saying throughout this letter is basically him later on in life reflecting back on what Jesus said to him and the other, other apostles back in Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bible, flip over there real quick. Mark chapter 10. The disciples are having an argument over who's the greatest because James and John pulled Jesus aside and asked him to save the two most important positions in his kingdom for them. And words get, gets around to the other guys and now they're going, you shouldn't have that role, I should have that role. Arguing, 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 jockeying for position and power and influence. And so Jesus comes and he says this. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, this is verse 42, those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Understand this. Jesus is not against us pursuing greatness. He just says, if you want to do it, you got to think about it backwards. If you want to be great, you will be the servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Do you see the similarity of what Peter's talking about with what Jesus said here? Why is this good news? Why do we walk this way? Because even the Son of Man, Jesus himself, God's appointed king to rule forever and ever and ever, came to this earth not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We have to get this straight. Too many of us, myself included, we have become addicted to seeking power and influence and change the way the world does. We're going through withdrawals because we got the shakes because we don't know how to do it a different way. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? The rulers of the Gentiles need power and prestige and prominence. And even though we learned last week we are called to submit and honor those rulers, we do not need their power to represent Jesus. We have a power unlike anything this world has to offer. We have the power of the grace of God that can be made known even in the midst of suffering. We have the power of the sacrificial love of Jesus, which is the thing in this universe that has the ability to break the back of evil. 
We have the power of the resurrection life of Jesus. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, God himself, living within us to teach us how to trace our lives according to the pattern of Jesus. Listen to me, church. We do not need to play the world's games the world's way. We do not need the government on our side. What we need, hear me here, is to make sure that we are truly on Jesus' side. To embrace Jesus' call to true greatness through sacrificial servant love, even to those who misunderstand and mistreat us. As I was prepping for this, I kept thinking about that show, The Mandalorian. And all the times when the, the, the main character is told to do something hard and the lady just goes, this is the way. This is the way. This is the way that Jesus has set for us. The question is, are you and I willing to follow Jesus on this way? Remember, we said, I said at the beginning, true freedom is not found in being your own ruler or even getting the rulers of this world on our side. It is found in following Jesus as our rightful ruler, as the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Again, Jesus said his way would be narrow and hard. Do you see what he's saying? And yet, he said, make no mistake, this is the way that leads to life. Paul himself, he acknowledged that not everyone is able to see the beauty of following a crucified Messiah as the way to actually seek life in this world. He wrote back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that he preaches Christ crucified, and to many people that seems like foolishness, like a stumbling block. And he said, yet... Those who believe, those who give, God gives eyes to see, they see Jesus not as foolishness, not as a stumbling block, but as the wisdom of God and the power of God. In the same way, he wrote of himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, when you walk this sacrificial pattern of Jesus, this servant-hearted pattern of Jesus' life, he says people won't understand it. He, he described it this way. It's like, he's like, I go from town to town and I spread the fragrance of Christ everywhere that I go but not everybody smells the same thing. To some people, that fragrance smells like death to death. Why would I go that way? How can that be good news? Laying down my life, taking up my cross to follow Jesus, that looks like death. And yet, he says to others, they catch the scent of life to life. They see the beauty, the glory of it. So maybe right now as you're hearing me, that's where you're stuck. How can this way of life be good news? All I see is death and dishonor or just being a doormat. Where's the smell of life to life that Paul talks about? Well, in some ways I would say come back next week because we're gonna talk more about that. I wanna come back to some of these same passages on Jesus' example of sacrificial service. And Lord willing, to, to look at it, to see how it's, it's actually the path to true victory. If we are to represent Jesus well in this world, we need to fundamentally rethink what it means to win. What it means to win the battles that we're fighting. 
Following Jesus' path of sacrificial service is how we confront evil in this world. It is how we testify to Jesus' victory over evil. It's even, Paul will say, how we testify to the reality of God's coming righteous judgment on the evil of this world. But again, we'll look more at the victory side of this next week. But just like it was for Peter, he didn't see the victory at first, right? All he saw was, how does this look good? As I draw this to a close, let me give you just a few final thoughts. First, please understand this. This is very important. While the call to follow Jesus by being willing to suffer unjustly, while that's our call, we are never called to seek out suffering. It is utter foolishness to make your aim in life to try to get people to mistreat you because of your faith in Jesus. That is not what Peter is saying. This is why he keeps using this idea of if you suffer according to God's will, by submitting yourself to God's will and seeking to do good even when you're misunderstood and then you suffer, that's the gracious thing in the eyes of God. We are never supposed to seek suffering for its own sake, but we also, hear me, are not called to avoid suffering out of our desire for comfort or ease or a sense of at-homeness in this world. We are called instead to do good, to act honorably, to sacrificially serve people around us in Jesus' name and trust him with however they respond to those actions. The second thought I want, thing I want you to understand is this. The call to follow Jesus does not mean, hear me carefully, does not mean that you have to stay in a situation where you are being abused or neglected. Hear me. Especially not when you have the opportunity. There are mechanisms in our society given to us by God to seek justice and rescue for your situation. As a matter of fact, Peter says so, so much himself back in verse 14 when he says that one of the purpose. One of the purposes of these human authorities over us is to punish evildoers. So please hear me. If you are in a situation where you are being abused by a spouse, by a parent, or someone else, you should definitely, definitely, definitely call the police. Let them play their God-appointed role in protecting you in those situations. Here's one final thought. We'll spend a couple minutes on this one. Perhaps this is what we all need to hear most. I know it's what I need to hear. The call to trace our lives according to Jesus' example of sacrificial service is not something we're supposed to just get like that, to just grasp it, wrap our minds around it. Yep, absolutely, let's do it. It's a journey to learn this way of life. It was for Peter he didn't get it right right away. It took him years, I would say, to wrap his head around the goodness of this example of Jesus. He kept fighting against it, even when Jesus was here, right? Because it was just as far outside of his realm of understanding as it is for us. If you're familiar with the Gospels, do you remember the first time that Jesus told his disciples that he would suffer many things at the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and then three days later rise again? Do you remember how Peter responded? He rebuked Jesus. Never, Lord. 
This will never happen to you. How can you even say that? And do you remember how Jesus responded to him? Get behind me, Satan, adversary. You are thinking about this like a man. You are not thinking the thoughts of God. At the Last Supper, they're eating dinner, and Jesus looks around at the guys and says, all of you will fall away. You will desert me this night. And do you remember, again, how Peter responded? Even if all those guys do, I won't. A few hours later in the garden, the mob comes to arrest Jesus, and Peter turns to the power of the sword, and he starts swinging. And he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant, which means he probably also wasn't too good with the sword. <laughs> and yet, do you remember what Jesus says to him? Put your sword back in its place. That's not the way things are done in my kingdom. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He looks at Peter and he says, if this were a matter of fighting power with power, don't you understand? I could call to my father right now and he would send me 12 legions of angels? But do you understand what I'm doing? This must be so, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. I must Drink the cup my father has given me to drink. Jesus is the servant, obedient to his father's will, even to the point of death. And that's how you and I can be saved. A little bit later, in the courtyard of Caiaphas' house, Peter's standing by the fire. And the servant girl recognizes him and other people recognize him by his accent. You are with him. You're one of Jesus' followers. And Peter flips from the sword-wheeling madman to the one who does everything he can to avoid any association with Jesus, even calls down curses on himself if he is lying about not knowing Jesus. This very same night, hours apart, Peter is ping-ponging back and forth between those fight-or-flight reflexes, right? Have you felt like that at all over the past year and a half? Gosh, I know I have. We should fight this. No, we should leave. We should fight this. No, we should leave. No, we should, no, we should leave. And so many have reacted in both ways over the past year. And yet here again is Peter, this same dude, going boing, 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 later in his life, writing to us saying, I know it doesn't make sense. I know everything is topsy-turvy, but remember, the fight's not out there. The fight is in here against the desires of your flesh. Conduct yourselves honorably. Do good. Expect to be misunderstood. Expect to be mistreated. Keep doing good and trust that ultimately God will vindicate you one day and we all go, are you sure? Jesus, are you sure this is the way that leads to life? And then I think back again to that last supper when Jesus got up from the table he wrapped the servant's towel around his waist and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And again, he comes to Peter 
And all Peter can see in this moment is how humiliating this should be for Jesus, how beneath him. And he says, Lord, are you really gonna wash my feet? You're gonna really take that low of a position? And Jesus says to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but later you will understand. Gosh, I take so much comfort from those words. I don't fully understand. I don't fully understand how this is the best way to confront evil and represent God in the world. But I see it in Jesus's life and I am willing as imperfectly and stumblingly and ping-pongy like Peter as I can be to go, Jesus, I want to trust you. I don't fully understand, but I want to trust you. And I want to trust you so that I might understand. It took a long time for Peter to wrap his mind around this counterintuitive example that Jesus is setting for him. And so it is with us. And yet I take such comfort from the clarity and conviction that I see here in the letter of 1 Peter. He's much older now. He's learned a lot. He's seen a lot. He's suffered a lot. He spent years tracing his life according to the example of Jesus. And he writes to us here in words inspired by the Holy Spirit and preserved for our instruction saying, I understand it better now. This is the way to true life. This is the way to confront evil and injustice in the world. This is what it means to live as God's elect exiles, his chosen servants. And he invites us to join him in this learning process. He invites us, like we're gonna sing in just a moment, to build our lives around Jesus and his love and ask Jesus to lead us as unnatural as it is, to lead us as our shepherd in his love to those around us. We, if you are a follower of Jesus, we have been saved by the sacrificial love of Jesus so that we might extend that same kind of sacrificial love to those around us, so that God might call them out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is the way. As Peter says at the very end of his letter, this is the grace of God. Stand firm in it. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We need you. We need you to see the beauty of your sacrificial life, your humble servanthood. It fights against so much that's natural in us and ingrained in us. We want to represent you well, even if life is hard. Jesus, would you teach us? Would you lead us? Holy Spirit, would you help us to trace our lives according to the pattern of Jesus? Even as it's hard, even when we're overlooked, mistreated, or just shunted to the side, would you give us that reminder something strange is not happening to us? 
May we rejoice insofar as we share in your mistreatment, in your suffering, in the hope that that means we will also share in the glory that will be revealed when you return. I ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.